The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. That is the main job of a writer is to is to grapple with doubt is to confront doubt and not be not be put off by it to the point where you abandon the work right so when you first start something especially when you're a, a young writer or a new writer forget young but just like new um there are these forces that are inside you that you feel so compelled to do it and then the deeper you go, you meet forces that want you to stop. And that's the doubt that I'm talking about. Maybe other people don't have it. I have it a lot. So when I just went from having some success with nonfiction to try to try my hand at fiction again for the first time in years. And man, I couldn't like, it was so hard. I mean, I have it with anything like my first draft of a New York Times story. I'll write, I'll be like, the whole the first two drafts will be like, I can't tell if this is good or this sucks. It's like it goes from, oh, this is shit. This is shit to this. Oh, this is pretty bad to, oh, this might be OK. You know, like that kind of progression as you do the rewrites. But with fiction, it was even more so for me. And it was like loud doubt because it's you're writing a whole book and it just never goes away. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your ever grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance in perpetuity for the new year. This is the second part of year-end retrospective with award-winning indie journalist and author, Adam Skolnick, who returned to rap with me about show highlights from the last half of 2023, our hot takes, and shooting the breeze. Adam's an award-winning independent journalist and author covering adventure sports, environmental issues, and civil rights for outlets such as the New York Times, Outside, ESPN, BBC, and Men's Health, among others. He is also the co-author of Never Finished, Unshackle Your Mind and Win the War Within, a follow-up to David Goggins' smash hit memoir, Can't Hurt Me. Adam's also the author of One Breath, has narrated David Goggins' best-selling audiobooks, and co-hosted the Rich Roll podcast on the Roll-On Edition. In this file, Adam and I discussed... Publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick and the sui generis of the Colleen Hoover effect, award-winning climate journalist Amy Westervelt, and why more writers need to set their stories in the real world, Booker Prize-winning author Anne Enright, and the moment of burnout that changed her career, National Book Award winner and best-selling author James McBride on why some writers find no joy in being well-known. Number one, New York Times bestselling author Emily Henry, and what it feels like to live inside a lightning strike, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates 
and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Well, I would love to move on to our friend Anne Enright, the best-selling Booker Prize winning author who came on the show this year to talk to me about all kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, I thought what was most fascinating about it was just kind of the change in her career where she realized she just had kind of burnt out and was going to give writing, uh, you know, a serious effort and, and, you know, obviously kind of broke through in a big way. Um, she won the Man Booker Prize and the Irish Fiction Award for The Gathering and some other big, big awards. And yeah, she came on to talk about uh, burnout kind of in her, in her previous incarnation, because, you know, so many of these authors, the, you know, one of the themes that we come across so often is just that these so many uh, bestselling and, and award-winning authors had like whole other careers before these breakout um, books and and careers in publishing is it's a pretty fascinating story but anyway i'm gonna right. i want to listen to her well, it's the age-old saying it's like uh it takes 20 years to become an overnight success there we go a very prominent theme on this show so let's listen to her quickly uh talk about her her kind of burnout and and you know life after her original career I think the phrase now is that I burnt out in this job. But I, I, I actually, when I was went into the job, the people said, "No, you burn out in about four years." I lasted six. Um, <laughs> it was one of those kind of jobs, and it's just—it's kind of—it's not fun when it's happening um, because your head is filled with all kinds of everything. But it also happens to people who work too hard and who are too conscientious and all of those kind of things. I didn't really stop to consider my personality style. I just said, well, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, this isn't tenable. And I started to become serious about my writing. And that, uh, you know, involved an amount of starvation and uncertainty and anxiety, which went on for another few years. It wasn't as easy. You know, people love a narrative. Oh, you know, she uh, hit a wall, had a nervous breakdown, became a writer and bingo, you know, won the Booker Prize. That's not really exactly how it was either. <laughs> no, I don't imagine it was. But you did have some early successes. And of course, sure. Yeah, um, were nominated for some prizes kind of early on, early on in your career. Yeah, that's another narrative that nobody ever heard of me before that the before I won a prize. But you know, I was I was happy enough by the time all that came around. I was just working on my books and and actually that's more or less what I do now is just sit there and write another book mostly. It's not a bad life if you can, you're not a bad job if you can get it. <laughs> I love her. Yeah, me too. And this is a theme that comes up, I think, in, in the next three is no, nobody really knows what's going to happen, but it doesn't really, doesn't really change much about the work itself, right? You're still you're still going to have to sit there and, you know, come up with another story and sit there and write right. it and do the hard work. And, you know, it doesn't really change you as a person. The, the, you know, you're, you're deciding to become a writer doesn't change you as a person. Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but it doesn't change the fact that you're going to, you still have to sit there in solitary confinement, um, with your thoughts and right. 
write another book and and no and every writer every author i've spoken to on this show is like it doesn't get any easier <laughs> it's not no, like right 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 it's right not like it's getting easier it gets harder and only gets harder was it was it on your show did james mcbride talk about wrestling with doubt or grappling with doubt or is that, i forget where i heard that but like that 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 is the main job of a writer is to is to grapple with doubt is to confront doubt and not be not be put off by it to the point where you abandon the work right so when you first start something especially when you're a, a young writer or a new writer forget young but just like new um there are these forces that are inside you that you feel so compelled to do it and then the deeper you go you meet forces that want you to stop and that's the doubt that i'm talking about maybe other people don't have it i have it a lot so when i just went from having some success with nonfiction to try to try my hand at fiction again for the first time in years. And man, I couldn't like, it, it was so hard. I mean, I have it with anything like my first draft of a New York times story. I'll write, I'll be like the whole like, first two drafts. I'll be like, I can't tell if this is good or this sucks. It's like, it goes from, Oh, this is shit. This is shit to this. Oh, this is pretty bad to, Oh, this might be okay. You know, like that kind of progression as you do the rewrites. But with fiction, it was even more so for me. And it was like loud doubt because it's you're writing a whole book and it just never goes away. And, um, you know, you think sometimes you feel compelled to do it. Sometimes you feel compelled to stop. Um, and really, all those forces aren't they're not real, right? They're the, you, you perceive of them, but they're not real um, They're It's just the indifference the great, the kind of really loud, profound indifference of the world <laughs> that, that we are in. And so it's like this. And so our thoughts, when we're in a quiet room with ambient music, maybe, or maybe completely quiet the way I write and, and, and are writing that loud indifference can be interpreted positively and negatively by your own perception. <laughs> and it, 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 it amounts to nothing. So really your goal is to work through whatever waves are coming at you or coming up within. And for a lot of times it's going to be doubt and then you'll find it, find momentum and work through it. And then doubt might come up again. And so that's, that's kind of, I think what, what, that's what I get from listening to Anne talk about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so many writers talk about it and actually the next two snippets kind of delve into a little bit. And I thought, you know, and I've heard you talk about this indifference of, these uh forces in the universe and then of course we, we sometimes talk about signs and symbols that come to us as uh, as writers yeah. and especially fictionists and, po and poets but i don't know i i thought immediately of this uh bukowski poem titled being here from the storm for the living and the dead some of his uh uncollected unpublished stuff but um i went back to it i'll show you real quick we are far too serious. We must learn to juggle our heavens and our hells. The game is playing us. We must play back. Mm. I don't know. I don't know why that resonated with me when when we were talking about it. Um, but I sent it over to you. I, yeah. I wanted to wanted to ask you if it uh, resonated with you at all. Oh, for sure. I mean, we are obviously far too serious. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I think never never more so than at this moment. In, in the world. And it just keeps kind of getting more tense and serious and um, to our detriment, right? Like, so the more seriously we take the world seems like the less we're accomplishing <laughs> trying to solve our problems. Yeah. At least that's my feeling. And so we seek 
the antidote to that, what's the antidote to that is levity and, and, and finding the beauty in the world. And the whole interview you have with Anne kind of touches and uh, kind of keeps touching that place where, whether she's talking about going for walks and kind of tripping on the birds and how that has, how that helped uh, her get to the good stuff that, that created Ren, you know, her, her most recent book. Um, whether it's just the fact that like where, where she talks about um, eventually you do hit a flow state. And that flow state is kind of like that, that expansive awareness that you get to when you work on a book long enough to where you really hit the, hit the, it's like, it's like drilling for a well and you finally hit it. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, that happens and, and writers know when that happens. So how do you, how do you, uh, play with that kind of seriousness that's all pervading? I mean, one thing I do is I always just go back to nature. You know, for me, it's like I always thought one of the best things about taking up swimming and freediving um, in the ocean, um, open water swimming and freediving, is that it's it brings you into a state of play. And it's and talk about a profound indifference. The ocean does not give a fuck. And so when you're <laughs> out there and you can play and splash around, um, you can. That's an antidote for me. So finding your antidotes um, to the to the all pervading gloomy seriousness of <laughs> smart people. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> I love that. Um, yes. And I love Anne. I hope she comes back. She was like on her back uh, in a hotel room yeah. because her back had gone out. She was like, she was like rapping to you on her back, back flat in a New York hotel room, right? Yeah. She threw out her back. And what, what, how amazing is that? She's a she, rock star. <laughs> total rock star. Total rock star. Yeah. She was talking about trying to find some painkillers or something. Yeah. Too funny. Oh, she's now she's a real rock star. That's what I mean. (laughs) And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, uh, you had touched on McBride's kind of wisdom in, in that interview with National Book Award winner and bestselling author James McBride. Yeah. Um, who, you know, I think was named both Amazon's and uh, Barnes and Noble's number one book of the year, best book of the year, mm. 
But um, yeah, uh, speaking of rock stars, this guy uh, came on the show and was just so real, you know, just oh, like yeah. such, a, such a real voice because he's just, he's just lived, you know, this guy was a, a, a professional jazz musician in New York City. Yeah. Um, he, he was a journalist. He's done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. He was um, a big music writer, right? Like, and yeah, uh, he, he was like a musician writer. Um, yeah. And then Color of Water, right? That was his that kind yeah. of launched uh, his, his, uh, his memoir, becoming a best selling author. Yeah. And he's written, I mean, I mean, you know, you, everyone has heard of James McBride, but like, was that, what's the name of the John Brown? What's your favorite? The John Brown book? Uh, the Good Lord Bird. Yeah. Good Lord Bird. I mean, yeah. I mean, and the, that became a Showtime limited series with yeah. Ethan Hawk. Magnificent. And then I love this little book of his that probably nobody's read. I, I don't know. I think, I think there was something like he was going through some time in his life and he needed a payday and he put together a book proposal on this, or maybe he just got this publisher to do it. I don't know the backstory. It's a book called Kill Him and Leave, and it's all about James Brown. And if you love James Brown's music and you've never read anything about him, pick up, try to find Kill Him and Leave. It is so good. I mean, it's, he goes, he kind of drives around the South and he, and he talks to people who knew him, who were there on the rise of James Brown. James was already dead, I believe, when he took this on. So there's no interviews with James Brown, but all the histories in it, like, how James Brown worked and all these things that you might not know. Like he was, he was a teetotaler. He never drank. He never did drugs. Um, you know, he, he demanded uh, cash up front, you know, like, cause he'd been burned so much coming up and just like his, who he was and how, how much he demanded and just how powerful the music is. You don't need me to tell you or James Brown, to, or James McBride to tell you the power of James Brown's music. We all know it, but it's just such a beautiful book. I loved it so much. I just grabbed, I, I forget what bookstore I was in. I think I was even in Australia like last time, like 2019 and grabbed it. I'm like, oh, this seems cool. And I mean, it's one of those like nuggets of gold you find like buried yeah. in a bookstore that you For never sure. would have bought, uh, which is, you know, obviously a reason to to go to bookstores versus like buying just on Amazon. I don't need to tell your audience that, but like to find something like that. And, and I love it. It's still in my library here. And um, I highly yeah. recommend it. Let's listen to James. I forgot that this is about, this is a, I, now, now I feel bad because I feel like I'm talking about myself. <laughs> You've been great. I, I, I think for young writers, they have to remember a couple of things. One is that the apprenticeship business that, that existed when I was young doesn't exist anymore, at least in newspapers and magazines. I mean, in newspapers, because they aren't in news. I mean, they're great newspaper, newspapers that exist. But the the avenues are tight because they, they they you know they're not as many newspapers, not as many small newspapers with these wonderfully gifted editors who helped. So young writers have to find they have to find mentoring either outside of uh, either through academia or outside of academia. They have to find people who who read their work, even if they have to just do writing groups. They have to write every day. They have to be, don't fall in love with your words, fall in love with your ideas. I'm not kidding when I said I wrote several chapters of the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store and it discarded all of them except for what now lives as chapter one with Moshi uh, opening his theater to uh, the great clarinetist. Everything else, every chapter of that book after chapter one is new. But the book was, it, I didn't, and I didn't title the book. So don't title the work. Just follow the characters and they will find the story and write consistently every single day. Even if you, 
even if nothing happens, just sit there and drink coffee. Because if an idea happens to come, you got a pen and paper or a computer in your hand. And don't write at a coffee shop, for God's sake. He's looking, <laughs> at, looking at somebody else. Go somewhere else and don't tell nobody nothing about what you're doing. And right when I wrote The Color of Water, I was in a Jimmy Scott's band. We were traveling by van and going all over. I never told anybody in the band I was writing the book. Because, you know, one, one negative word would bust my balloon. He's awesome. And there's a lot more to that interview, obviously, but I thought that was kind of a cool takeaway. Yeah, for sure. Don't tell nobody nothing. Yeah. And, and when I hear write every day, I get a little bit, I, I feel bad. because Sometimes I, I go through seasons where I'm writing every day when I'm working on something and then yeah. it might be weeks, but, uh, and I, I, I haven't done, especially coming off this sabbatical. I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. McBride told me to write every day. But he's right about, I, I love this. I never had any success working in coffee shops. I mean, I have a little bit of a different take because I had to travel. I was a travel writer for so many years and I could write anywhere. I've written on the side of roads. I've written in a car on the way somewhere with someone else is driving. I've written in hotel rooms, coffee shops, anywhere. Sometimes you have to write where you are. So, uh, but I do agree that I have much more success uh, working on, on books kind of in my own space. Never had much success in a coffee shop. Um, I do it if I have to, but not, not as a typical thing. Um, I love that. I love what he's saying about, uh, about that to younger writers and, and yeah, the fact that there's the mentorship is, is missing. That's true. And, and the fact that he's willing to discard his, his work and he's still find trying to find it like all the rest of us. Um, and this is a guy who's, I mean, he's, he's as good as it gets. So to hear it from him, it's, it's, it's affirming. Yeah. Um, well, it kind of touches on another thing. I wanted to get a hot take on it from you, but I want to f- wrap up, you know, just, I think, I think these all kind of dovetail into, especially the last three, Anne Enright, James O'Bride, and Emily Henry, who, you know, s- similarly, but not similarly to Colleen Hoover, um, has kind of found this viral fame for different reasons, I think, but she kind of has resurrected our, um, opinion of like romance and rom-coms and she really kind of writes at the top of of readers intelligence which i think again you know romance was always kind of considered tawdry or you know like something you (laughs) you know you know taking to a book club right 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 right. that's reserved for like the important books but she she kind of has has resurrected our opinion of it because her books have been not only so popular but also so well reviewed and they're they're kind of you know just a a different type of romance and yeah she talks about that Um, but she's also super down to earth and of course she's had like incredible success not for the same reasons that colin hoover or taylor jenkins reed have but because readers just really really like her her uh, you know her not only her prose but also like her her sense of humor which is like a very you know she kind of developed this sense of humor on twitter and that's where, and she talks about some of that in, in the interview. But anyway, let's listen to a clip from Emily Henry, who I'm a big fan of, um, and just be, and she's just a great person. It's magical and like a little bit baffling to feel like I have any like mental real estate in it in anyone's heads beyond just like the stories themselves. But I think it's very easy as a writer to stay humble because even when you're seeing incredible shocking success you're still just like at home with your books and your computer and like nothing really changes that much i'm not like at the met gala <laughs> like right. in ohio on a laptop 
Yeah, I, I was going to ask if you got an invitation to the Met Gala, but um, weirdly, no. Weirdly, <laughs> I have not yet. They must see that most years I post when I'm wearing the day of the Met Gala, and it's like a half step away from like SpongeBob pajama pants with my Crocs. <laughs> so the biggest movies of the last decade have all been Marvel movies, and mm-hmm. those are just straight up relationship movies. Like they are straight up. The, the thing, the glue that holds them together is entirely just like cute friendships. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are aliens and then there's like an even bigger alien and then an even bigger alien, whatever. <laughs> and, I, you know, I like those movies. I go see them. I have fun with them because they're sentimental and um, emotional and, and the emotional arc is what's gripping you in, you know, in them in a way that like we haven't really seen like necessarily like seen many dc movies land in the same way because they're just like a little bit edgier and not quite so sweet and so like based in the relationships but i i'm just really fascinated by the way that as soon as we like kind of center a woman and then the relationship has like romance in it and then and then especially beyond that you're saying that the end of the movie will be hopeful or the end of the book will be hopeful, the end, whatever, any media. Then for some reason, there is this instant uh, decline in who is willing to buy into the story. Okay. What she's talking about is she's kind of peeling back the layer that really at the core, right, is this re- archetype of re- this relationship story archetype, which she's also using and also putting whether she's putting it or other people are overlaying this romance label, whatever it is, I, I take it as she's kind of figuring out something that's working in the marketplace. And it's not just because of the marketplace, but because it's core to human humanity. And then um, all the overlay, it just makes it more fun and more palatable and, and, and an easier read. So then you're getting into the depth anyway. So I, that's how I kind of took it. Having, mm-hmm. I have not read her book, so I, I'm not speaking with um, about her her work necessarily. But just kind of hearing that, that's my take. Is that is that um, she's she's she is drilling down and finding that archetypical story that can re- that you can relate to, and that 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 might be why she's you know struck lightning. Yeah, yeah, she's cracked the code. Yeah, and she just happens to be a romance writer, a very successful one. Right. Yeah, r- really but that goes back to what I was saying before, which is like. And obviously her prose gets a lot of credit, but like books that matter, it's less about style these days and more about like core, like core resonance, you know, and maybe it's always been that way. And I love it. You know, I love the core resonance, you know, like where if you can resonate with that core, you are going to, you're going to have an impact on people, you know, not necessarily about changing the way the world functions, but you're going to, uh, you're going to connect with people. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, 
We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I had another guest um, also mentioned that that they had that their book was lumped into the genre category of course you know I always ask authors like where they see their work as opposed to like where they've been kind of put on the bookshelf but she was kind of resentful that they were calling her book a domestic thriller when you know we don't call you know uh, a chabone book a domestic anything even though it's it's wholly revolves around domestic life you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like because she's because she's a female author, you know they they want to lump you into a category to get you the most. Oh, like a domestic sales. violence type thriller? Meaning domestic meaning you know for for the most part like taking place around the home and, right, and home right. life and you know that right. kind of stuff. Whereas you know Chabon is a literary author. He's right. not a dom- he doesn't write domestic anything. Right. You know right, he's not right, lumped right. into that category, even right. though he writes about domestic. Th- you know yeah. I think uh, coming back to Anne, I think she said in that interview that she's always pleased when critics respond, but doesn't expect it. Like it's like yeah. it's like you, those are that 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 stuff's in the category of what you can't control, and yeah. um, and that's where that belongs. And if and and you know who knows, maybe that label actually helps sell books. Maybe the label frustrates. I mean, I get it. You know, like. I understand you're setting out to just kind of write your thing and you want it to be, you think it's a universal and maybe that you feel like that could sidetrack your audience. You know, I mean, publishers, 90% of authors <laughs> have some sort of, have some sort of like, I wish the publisher did X, you know, like, uh, so, you know, but I, I understand. I mean, and she's, she, I'm sure she's not wrong. You know, like, yeah, Michael Chabon, it's an interesting example. I wouldn't use an example like that. It's like using it, you know, like these people are, they've proven their worth beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's like, it's like to, to, to say Michael Chabon is treated X, therefore I should be treated X is, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, because you know, you, you certain, like, I, I hate to be an exceptionalist. Maybe I am an exceptionalist, but like when you're, when you're to that level, which is the top of the game, then uh, you're going to just be treated like Michael Chabon. Like, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, and, and yeah. you know, and I'm, yeah. I may have to correct myself here because yeah. she may have said Jonathan Franzen, but either way. I mean, either way. Either I, way. I take your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way. But, but you know, I also understand. I mean, I, I empathize. This is not uh, to dismiss that complaint. I'm sure that, com- that complaint's legit. And you feel like that's a marginalization of your work and maybe a having of the audience. Maybe only you think you see that maybe men won't buy it and maybe that impacts your bottom line. But like I said, publishers do very little to sell books for authors. And so it's really up to the author to create the audience. And we've seen with Colleen Hoover to talk about that and, and so many others, uh, what can be done. And so it's just an example. Like we have to live that example. I mean, and Taylor Jenkins read, right? Well, you have to live that example. We have to connect to our audience on our terms. That's what's going to happen for us, right? If, for, for us to to make a book sell like now i mean i'm just to take it per, to to make it a personal thing i've been a part of this great success with david 
um, David Goggins. And like even hearing Emily just now saying oh, real estate in people's heads, owning real estate in people's heads. I hear that all the time. Like that, you didn't hear that before Can't Hurt Me came out. Like that, that's a very big Goggins thing. And so now it's just in the culture, in the vernacular. And so to be a part of that, but now I'm, to, I'm going to be launching my own books too again. Like I, I had a book before that and I'm going to be launching my books again. And now that's going to take me connecting to my audience apart from that phenomenon just like everybody else. And so it's up to us. You know, that's one thing I've learned from having one breath, which was a critical success, but not a commercial success, kind of doing the self-publish. That was, that was through a major publisher. Now a self-publishing thing, which was a tremendous success that might never be ju duplicated by anybody. And, and now you have, now we're at this place where I'm, I'm trying to get back to, I would like to partner with a publisher on this next book and I'll be having to launch it myself um, and sell it myself knowing that knowing what I know from both experiences, how, how well will I execute that? Um, but we can look at Colleen Hoover, Taylor Jenkins Reid. We could look at Emily and what she's done in, in, in genre. We could look at David's lesson and, and all of these lessons and James McBride. And I mean, like, that's what's great about your show, right? Like we take all these lessons. How do we then bottle it, you know, absorb it and, and then execute? And that's really what it comes down mm -hmm. to. And then mm -hmm. knowing that there's so much that's beyond our control because timing is such a big part of it. So there's so much beyond our control that all we can do is execute one step at a time. It's just like writing a book. So, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating, but. Uh, I think you're describing the life of an artist. Oh yeah. Craftsman. I prefer craft. <laughs> I identify as a craftsman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have seen your tool belt. It's rather impressive. Hey, listen, let's not get it. My tool belt, what is it? It's, it's got saline nasal spray. Um, <laughs> echinacea right now. <laughs> I've got a three-year-old. <laughs> Amazing. Echinacea and saline. The tools of, of a craftsman. The tools of a craftsman. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know how we wrap this show up. And this has been great to catch up with you, obviously. You know, it's an open door policy. I, I love having you on the show. And I, I love you, Adam. As a oh person. wow! This is I love you too. <laughs> this has gotten weird. Wow! This is this is a really a Christmas episode. I feel like <laughs> wait as I'm hacking away over here. I feel like I'm in. Uh, I know. I, I honestly, I, I feel like I'm in an Emily Henry book right now. This is a it's a Christmas miracle. I love. By the way, how great is Emily Henry talking about not going to the Met Gala? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's her thing every year. She posts her, her in her pajamas or whatever. Oh, she does. Okay. So she yeah, is she using really social media. Is she also one of those that she have a huge following on social media? She's got a pretty big following. Yeah. There, so like sure. that's, you know, and, and how do you get there? Right. It's like little by little, like how many times was Colleen Hoover talking to the camera and nobody was watching? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, it has been a pleasure. I, I, I think we, I just want to wrap up with like this idea. Cause you had mentioned that you're unplugging from technology uh, more and more. And I thought that was a cool thing. And, and you know, I, obviously we, we talk quite a bit about that on this show. We have belabored this point um, about the creative process. And uh, yeah, I'd be just fascinated to hear your quick thoughts on why you've decided to do some um, fasting. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I just find that like, I, I look at my phone too much just in general. And um and on day, some of those days, I can connect an, a kind of a depressive feeling arising in my, in my mind and my body with 
the too much phone. And so I'm sure we, we can all relate. And, and so I just decided to take a break. Sunday is no phone. Um, I picked Sunday because it's a day that I can be with my family and I can connect with, and I find my connection with Zoom in the morning because I'm the morning guy is like beyond than when I'm on a normal situation and dealing with my phone. So I like it so much. I think I'm going to expand it for the weekend. I'd like to do a weekday and I'm just trying to think of the best way to do it. I might just do Friday through Sunday. Um, it's a little bit tricky because if you have to make plans with people or if you're separated from the family for whatever reason, you might have to have the phone on hand. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's a work in progress. Right now, it's just one day, really. And the one day um, is is uh, hard and fast. I'll turn it off on Saturday night. And I'll pick it up on Monday morning. And uh, and that's that's what it is right now. And I find immediate uh, results and gratification. And so I'd like to expand it. I do think as much good as it's, you know, listen, I've personally benefited from social media and from the tech, tech, Amazon and Audible and all that. I've personally benefited from it, you know, but I, I acknowledge that the greater impact on the world has probably been bad. So I'm trying to just figure out my balance with my shit, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think a lesson for all creatives, unplugging is important. And so many writers talk about, at least in the writing process, using a device that is not connected to the internet yeah. or that is um, that has an app on it that uh, blocks the internet, which I have found useful. That's interesting. I've never tried the, any of that. Yeah. So there's an app, I think it's called Freedom, that you just install. It's a pretty simple process. I think it's even free. And then you just choose your web browser as something to block. And it's a timer. It's basically, you know, like a uh, the Pomodoro method is one mm. for creatives that a lot of writers utilize or have utilized that you basically set a timer for, you know, say half an hour, 25 minutes, and you are not allowed to do anything but write. So you, a blank page timer, 25 minutes. You're not allowed to do anything. You can't move. You can't get up and get a cup of coffee. You can't look at your phone. All you, all you can do is write. And, you know, a lot of times you just sit there and you're bored for 10 minutes, you get nothing, but then all of a sudden it starts to flow. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I find that if you can also use the Freedom app, you're not, you're not tempted to, put, you know, put your phone down, uh, arm's distance away so you can't see it, can't be distracted by the lights that come on when you get a notification. You hit Freedom, put on the 30-minute timer, open up the dock because um, it'll allow you to just block certain apps, so just block your web browser. Right. Do that. You can't. You can't do anything else. You literally. It just forces you to get some. Get some words. Okay. I should have done that instead of spending one hundred sixty-two thousand dollars for Hemingway's typewriter. <laughs> I do see that in the background. Wait. That's crazy. Oh, fuck. There's a Freedom <laughs> app? Is it free or is it I don't want to pay a subscription, so I bought 100 I spent 162k on the uh Hemingway typewriter. <laughs> well, did you see that that, that got that, that someone no. paid $162,000 for one of his typewriters? That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I guess um it has, if it has some I don't know, some magical like what if it did? What if it was like bestowed you with like this, you know, the ability to just turn out churn out like novel after novel what if there's like essence of rum just like soaked into the into the keys <laughs> <laughs> what if it just smells like a pina colada is that what he tried? that was not <laughs> i don't know i have no idea no. <laughs> i have no idea 
Um, pina colada. Uh, I'm going to spread the rumor. Hemingway's pina. I'm going to write, write, make a new drink. Hemingway's pina colada. <laughs> <laughs> this was death in the afternoon, which was like absinthe and like champagne or something like that. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Crazy. I've tried it. It's delicious. <laughs> imagine I'm on it right now. <laughs> I'm sipping a death in the afternoon as we speak. Yes, yes, yes. I'll be pouring one. Yeah, I noticed. I can see the, oh, look at it. Is that an absinthe bottle of, of yesteryear? It's not. It is not. I have a... Uh, I'm looking have, at... Hey, listeners, I'm looking at Kelton Reed's uh, studio right now through my a, Zencaster there's a mini, feed. There is a mini bar. You have a mini bar? Yeah, I've got, mini- a, I've got a little bar here. I got some yeah. I got some stuff. I haven't been... I haven't been dipping into it as much lately. I've kind of been drinking wine if I drink anything. And um, yeah. yeah, but I there's, do have There's no here. booze here. There's no booze here. It's only uh, accoutrement. It just kind of looks like a mini bar, but it's a non-functioning mini bar. I'm low on hibiki. Can you send some over again? I'm low on hibiki. <laughs> yeah, I'll have my guy send that over. <laughs> well, this has been a pleasure, and um, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, this is good. I hope it was of some use. Yeah, um, I do too. And and a happy New Year to everybody. May 2024 be your most prolific, and and be nice to yourself. Yeah, happy new year. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh checking out my my buddy Kelton Reed's awesome show and uh and for listening and listening to moi. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> we appreciate you. Kelton Reed signing off. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writer files.fm for more that's writerfiles.fm leap and the net will appear (laughs) you hope what if the net doesn't appear and you've already leapt well my old friend sonia simone used to say leap and the floor will appear (laughs) and scene should we call it a, a day yeah. Is that good? <laughs> that was fun. Is yeah, it was good? great. Okay.